The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save our wildlife. Save the environment. Save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with L.A. Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Good morning. Today's discussion about our wild world is a tragic one. It doesn't seem to be growing roots in toward a common ground. Instead, it is escalating further into violence and war, and a long, long way from any kind of peace. The subject of the Ivory Wars is controversial and grown so complicated there is no easy solution at hand. We here in our Western lifestyle, living in our ivory towers, are so disassociated from the tangible effects and effects that it is difficult to translate into what makes up a personal emergency. But an emergency it is, real life, current events, and not some esoteric or philosophical debate. This is a real honest-to-God crisis. It is not as fast as a tsunami or an earthquake, but the consequences that are rippling through the web and fabric of life are the same, very much long-term and with many lives at stake. <clears throat> Excuse me. A lot of research was involved to bring you today's episode. There is a tremendous wealth of information at our fingertips and the click of a mouse if we only take the time to inform ourselves. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. I keyword search the USF Ivory Crush. Ivory plus crime plus poaching plus ivory seizures. And of course, elephants. There are pages and pages and pages which I began to consecutively open in new tabs. Many of the links for videos and new casts, headliners across a wide variety of sources. The New York Times, the Denver Post, BBC, Scientific Americans, Extinction Countdown, Voice of America, the International Newswires. Voices from around the world began playing over each other of the atrocities being played out against elephants and the people who protect them, which have been scaling up over the recent months. All these voices blended into one gigantic, horrific soundtrack, running like the continuous reports of a catastrophic disaster, the soundtrack of a war. Try it yourself. Close your eyes and listen. I have posted many of the links to today's information on our Wild Eyes Facebook page. Open the links, listen, look, and look at the images of carnage playing over and over. Make no mistake, we are all facing a catastrophic disaster, only this one is not a natural one. It is a disaster made wholly by us. 
As my colleague, Mike Mike Norton Griffiths, wrote in his paper, Ivory Wars or Ivory Peace, Is There a Way Forward?, which appeared in The Ecologist May 24th, and I quote, One of the few things we do know about this immensely complicated ivory trade is that this standard version of cause and effect is too simplistic and that the standard solutions preferred have not worked particularly well in the past and are not noticeably working well now, so are unlikely to work any better in the future. Respected economists have pointed out that trade bans are perfectly ineffective and that banning trade has not diminished the demand for ivory. Perversely, restricting the supply of ivory in the face of growing demand increases the value of existing stocks, dead or alive, making it even more profitable to poach even more elephant, perhaps even to extinction. These ivory wars are both ineffective and wasteful of scarce resources. They foment conflict and confrontation where there should be cooperation and mutual support. And they impose unacceptable collateral damage within Africa. If the urgency of this message today is news to you, then you would do well to tune in to a few of my past shows about elephants, and even more so to the upcoming few weeks' episodes with special guests joining me from various organizations, some will be mentioned here today, but regardless, they're all involved in fighting the war on wildlife, and in particular, the ivory wars, and trying to find an ivory peace. The war on our world's rhinos and elephants in particular, each of which are facing extinction at the hands of humans for the same reasons. We treasure their beauty, their strength, and their power, but we treasure them dead rather than alive. For the first time in U.S. history, we are taking a very public stand about ivory. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, which from this point on I will refer to as FSW or USFW, is crushing six tons of seized ivory in what is being called the crush. The crush will be filmed by many invited guests and press. It will, or at least it should be, on the news the night of November 14th, or at the very least in your newspaper's weekend editions. If it isn't, then check online, because this is something everyone should be aware of. It is the first time in U.S. history that our U.S. Fish and Wildlife is taking a stand against the illegal ivory trade. I presage that with the word illegal because, strangely and unbelievably and confusing as it is, there is still a legal ivory trade in ivory. And the rules and regulations on that are even more confusing. Suffice to say that ivory is pretty much illegal to bring into the U.S. without a whole raft of permits, proof of provenance, and permissions from every federal, state, and international body that exists, including those from the home country where the elephant or its ivory lived during its life. This U.S. event was originally scheduled for October 8th, but when Congress walked out and our federal government shut down, the crush was canceled. So you see, there is a lot more to what our House of Representatives, Senate, and our Congress has on their docket than individual personalities, political agendas, health care schools, and a democracy run by a media campaign and maneuverings at stake. We need to be paying very close attention to the fine print these days. That news and the upcoming crush will make it into international headlines, as did Kenya's ivory burns in 1989 and 2011. It will most likely become another documentary about the plight of elephants and what we are doing about it. 
The light on this slaughter of elephants for ivory hit the world scene big time in 2010 with Vanity Fair's publication of Agony and Ivory. Then again this year with National Geographic's cover story, Blood Ivory, followed by the film Battle for the Elephants, which dovetailed that investigation with journalists Brian Christie and Aidan Hartley, highlighting just how easy it is to find ivory and trying to make sense of the Chinese cultural adoration of the material, an obvious disconnect between the reverence for life and symbolism they portray against the reality of the knowledge of the carnage and slaughter necessary to provide the raw material. If the bloody, disturbing images you see of dead elephants and the voices and news you hear and read doesn't make your stomach turn, I guess you're listening to the right show. If you still don't understand that this is a genocide of a fellow being and how this affects all of us, then, well, you can consider yourself being educated. If that still doesn't work, then you can join the forces of the deaf and dumb who continue in arrogant oblivion of our impact on the wild world around us and ultimately the impact we are having on ourselves. This directly affects our ability to evolve and live with life on earth. The upside here is you can become involved. You can do something about saving elephants, about stopping the poaching, about changing the way we relate to Earth and every other living thing here. You can do something about saving elephants, and you can do it now. This is real-time breaking news. This is happening as I speak. The future of elephants is being decided by us and the world right now. So, today, I'm bringing you background and the latest headline news on what is happening to elephants and why. But in the end, let's remember one thing. This is a true story about humanity and what we will choose to be our, we will choose to be our relationship to and our willing to, willingness to live with Earth. We will keep room, will we keep room for wildness in our heads, our hearts, and our lands? The big answer is that we, by our actions, will, each of us, change the answer to the billion-dollar question, will elephants survive? Let's start at the top of the chain of international and national protections provided by science, policy, and governmental, parastatal, and non-governmental agencies at the highest levels of international member nations and agreements. In other words, the rules, laws, and guidelines that we, the various nations, cultures, and peoples on earth, have agreed to abide by. We begin with the IUCN. That's the International Union for Conservation of Nature. It's the world's oldest and largest global environmental organization and was founded in 1948. I urge you to visit IUCN.org to see just what all they do and that they're responsible for, as it would take me an hour just to tell you. But importantly here, too, is that the IUCN is responsible for the Red List, that list which states the status of the species we do know, whether it's threatened, endangered, on the very brink of extinction, or whose population is so critical or non-viable as to be considered extinct. Please recall last week's episode, since the Endangered Species Act was enacted, there are 12 extinctions that we know of. Most of those were small creatures that perhaps we haven't really noticed. Now we're talking megafauna, landscape architects, keystone species, disastrous 
disastrous trophic cascades on levels we have not witnessed in our living memory as a species. We are in what many are calling the third mass extinction, the second being the dinosaurs. The IUCN and its Red List and the ESA, Endangered Species Act, are what guides governments and policies and import to this conversation the trade of endangered species. That sounds like the perfect definition of an oxymoron to me. Anyway, pertinent to to today's topic is that under the IUCN are various monitoring programs about the viability of endangered species and very specific laws and regulations and information about elephants, both Asian and African. So here we go. Stay with me now. The mission of the IUCN Species Survival Commission, SSC, on elephants is to promote the long-term conservation of Africa's elephants throughout their range. There is also the SSC for Asian elephants. Then there's the African Elephant Specialist Group, whose mission is to promote the long-term conservation of Africa's elephants throughout their range. There is, then there is the African and Elephant Database System, an open-source software project that is a joint database between the African and Asian elephant database, NGOs, independent researchers, and all who provide source material and census updates from all the survey data received since the last elephant, African elephant status report in 2007. Next, we have the African Elephant IUCN Red List, which highlights the, which populations and where they are that are critically threatened. Then there is CITES, the Convention of International Trade of Endangered Species of Fauna and Flora, which is an international agreement under the United Nations Environment and Education Program, UNEP, a secretariat between governments of 178 member nations voluntarily. CITES aims is to ensure that international trade in specimens of wild animals and plants does not threaten their survival. After the ban on ivory in 1989 and the subsequent one-off sale to Japan in 1997, that led to the formation of MIKE, the Monitoring of Illegal Killing of Elephants. And then alongside that, we have Traffic, the Wildlife Trade Monitoring Network, which works to ensure that trade in wild plants and animals is not a threat to the conservation of nature. I am sure by now you can see the potential for conflict of interests here, which many interpret to be the number one cause of the dramatic increase in elephant deaths due to poaching over the past two to three years. I'm talking poaching and deaths in the range of tens of thousands of elephants a year. All for one thing, ivory. On March 1st, 2013, in its fifth update since 2007, the IUCN released its report of new data on the status of African elephant populations, covering 37, 37 elephant range states, including new and updated information for 194 sites, which includes 39 new survey areas, mainly in eastern and central Africa. The results are depressing and news that I never thought I would hear in my lifetime. Please go to IUCN.org or CITES, C-I-T-S.org, and you can see the facts and figures and reports for yourself. 
Okay, I know, you're busy, can't take the time. I'm here telling you that it is our job, yours and mine, and every single person on earth who is of decision-making age is a consumer and has the conscience to take the time to get yourself up to speed on this issue because it is one of the most important issues with innumerable and unimaginable consequences and ramifications that will affect us all. Should we decide this isn't our responsibility or our individual job to care about? This is not an African problem. This is everyone's problem. I quote here from the IUCN website. The most recent analysis from Elephant Trade Information Systems, the ETIS, notes that illicit trade in ivory has greatly increased, reaching the highest level in the in the in at least the last 16 years. The frequency of large-scale ivory seizures, that means more than 800 kilograms, has also increased, indicating a highly organized illegal ivory supply chain. Hmm, how interesting. In 1974, Kenya banned all hunting. In 1984, Kenya burned her ivory stocks in a plea to the world to end the trade in ivory. In 1989, CITES banned all trade in ivory. In 2002, the Environmental Investigation Agency and the ETIS report stated that ivory seizure volumes progressively declined from the result of the ban in 89 through to 94 and remained stable at the 94 levels through to 1998, but since have been on the increase. China itself states that the Japan experiment that went off sale in 1984, excuse me, in, yeah, uh, that one one off sale to Japan, which they're calling the Japan experiment, is what increased the black market demand for ivory within China's own borders. Is it really a coincidence that at this same time frame, the last 16 years coincides very neatly and exactly with the CITES backroom deals selling off huge stockpiled caches of ivory from the now labeled Japan experiment, that was 1997, and the other to China in 2008? In National Geographic, Blood Ivory, Brian Christie's analogy, that having approved the sale, Cites had then set about constructing a way to gauge its impact, which is a bit like pushing the button to test the first atomic bomb and then building a device to measure the explosion. No enforcement baseline had been established to cope with the sale. In fact, the scope of the enforcement assessment prior to the decision was totally inadequate and failed to take into account the transnational dynamics of the criminal networks and militia groups that were engaged in poaching and trafficking prior to and during and since the sales. Okay, we've got to head into a break. I'll be right back. Stick with me. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. 
Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson, in The Sea Around Us, said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to Our Wild World. Welcome back, and thanks for, thanks for sticking with me. Fifty years ago, there were an estimated three million elephants. Today, their numbers are estimated between 300 and 500,000. With all the methods, conventions, institutions, science, and organizations in place to protect, promote, and ensure the survival of elephants, it is very obvious that it has all gone terribly wrong. We cannot just point blame at Asia and China. The U.S. is the third largest consumer of ivory products and trophy hunting, but now we're back to how did six tons of ivory end up in the, in the USFW's Rocky Mountain Arsenal and Repository? The ivory being pulverized on November 14th is from U.S. Customs and USFW seizures as ivory was either coming into or en route to passage elsewhere within our borders or was not uh, associated with the correct permits. If you search USFW Ivory Crush, you will come to a PDF called U.S. Ivory Crush Questions and Answers. It will provide some good basic info, but leaves a lot to be desired. There is no doubt that China's burgeoning middle class and wealthy elite want ivory. In a twisted sense of revitalization of ancestor worship and reconnection with their cultural roots and a relationship with ivory that dates back 2,000 years, China is gearing up for more. 
the society's sale of ivory to China pressured by those African nations that had huge caches of ivory, both from natural deaths and from poaching seizures, unfortunately had the exact opposite effect than CITES had promoted. Instead of reducing the market demand, CITES was seen to have made the statement that there was plenty of ivory and more where that came from. Poaching increased immediately and has since been topping the charts every day. What is truly chilling and now blatantly apparent in this entire chronicle is that the scale and scope and the methods of poaching have changed dramatically. It is not some poor individual on his own selling to a middleman to sneak some ivory into the black market. It is the black market in China and Asia that is organizing the poaching. And the people, the poor folks on the ground, have become expendable fodder for the syndicates and crime lords, buying up people in poverty-stricken elephant range states because often these people really have no other choice, especially in a world where they are uneducated, marginalized, and it seems the world cares more about that elephant than them. In hindsight, despite the indicators and whistleblowers at the time, we now know that CITES ivory sales to Japan and China were cleverly designed schemes by international wildlife tracking organized crime cartels. The ivory ivory was bought by the syndicates and then meted out to raise the demand and hike up the price of ivory on the legal market. It is very difficult to tell pre-ban ivory from new ivory. Now we have DNA testing that will tell us where the elephant and thus where any piece of ivory came from, down to the individual elephant and the place where it was killed. DNA sampling is being done where where there's funding, the teams and the ability and the government will to do so, but this is expensive and it doesn't stop the killing. I'd like to give you some idea of just how enormous this issue is and how much it has been in the world news recently. I'm going to bring up some headlines for you from around the world. And these are all over just the past year, late 2012 and all of 2013. And that will bring us back to why the upcoming U.S. Fish and Wildlife Crush is making its very own headlines. You can also visit YouTube and watch and share World Wildlife Fund's Stop Wildlife Crime, the series. series. It's an eye-opener. Okay, September 3rd, 2012, the New York Times shouts, Elephants dying in epic frenzy as ivory fuels wars and profits. In Garamba National Park in Democratic Republic of Congo, anti-poaching teams who in 30 years of working in the park had never seen anything like it, found 22 dead elephants, including several very young ones, clumped together on the open savanna, many killed by a single bullet to the top of the head. Several days later, in early April, the Garamba Park guard spotted a Ugandan military helicopter flying very low over the park on an unauthorized flight. That abruptly turned around after being detected. Park officials, scientists, and the Congolese authorities now believe that the Ugandan military, one of the Pentagon's closest partners in Africa, killed the 22 elephants from a helicopter and spirited away more than a million dollars worth of ivory. Poachers are wiping out tens of thousands of elephants a year, more than at any time in the previous two decades with the underground ivory trade becoming increasingly militarized. Like blood diamonds, ivory, it seems, is the latest conflict resource in Africa, dragged out of remote battle zones, easily converted into cash, and now fueling conflicts across the continent. 
Law enforcement officials say some of Africa's most notorious armed groups, including the Lord's Resistance Army, the Shabaab, and Darfur's Janjaweed, are hunting down elephants and using the tusks to buy weapons and sustain their mayhem. Organized crime syndicates are linking up with them to move the ivory around the world, exploiting turbulent states, porous borders, corrupt and corrupt officials from sub-Saharan Africa to China. Through these, though the Chinese have coveted ivory for centuries, never before have so many of them been able to afford it. China's economic boom has created a vast middle class, pushing the price of ivory to a stratospheric $1,000 per pound on the streets of Beijing. If you Google the headlines I'm stating here, you'll find the entire five-page article, a very important read. On February 6, 2013, the UK Guardian lit up with the headline, Poachers Kill 11,000 Elephants in Less Than a Decade. In Gabon's Minkebi National Park rainforest since 2004, Gabon's government said the massacre was fueled by increasing demand for ivory in Asia. Gabon, the densely forested Central African country, is home to about half the world's roughly 100,000 remaining forest elephants, the smallest species of elephant, and coveted by ivory dealers for their harder and straighter tusks and its pink and blue dusky hue. Time Online Magazine, November 5, 2013, states Obama administration has a message for consumers and vendors of illegal ivory. The United States will not stand for poaching. Though the crush is the first American ivory destruction, other countries have been destroying the material for some time. Over this past summer, the Philippines crushed and burned five tons of ivory from its stockpile to prevent officials from stealing and selling the material on the black market. That leaves open to question if there is still more there. The article further informs us that ivory is now estimated to be worth more than cocaine and gold on the black market, with an annual revenue of about $10 billion. Destroying the stockpiles, officials say, is intended to show poachers and traders that ultimately there is no market for the material. Ed Grace, Deputy Chief of Law Enforcement at the Fish and Wildlife Service, says there shouldn't be a value on ivory. And that right there, folks, is the crux. The Obama administration is hoping that U.S. efforts, including the executive order issued in early July, will curb the poaching and encourage other countries to act. In March of 2013, headline screamed, Killing Spree, Slaughter, 86 Elephants in Chad, reported by the Sacramento Bee, the UK Daily Mail, Treehugger.com, IFA, and many, many more. It tells of the story of 86 elephants slaughtered, many being pregnant females, and their tusks hacked out. The report from South Africa and Cameroon stated it was the worst killing spree of elephants since early 2012 when poachers from Chad, Chad and Sudan killed as many as 650 elephants in a matter of weeks in Cameroon's Buba Nandija National Park. In July of this year, I was to travel to the Central African Republic, the CAR, with a few friends and for an unprecedented, unique experience. To see the lowland gorillas, join in on the trail hunt with pygmy people of the forest and see forest elephants for the first time at Dzanga Bay, the World Heritage Site and Viewing Area in the, in the Dzanga Ndoki National Park.
Known as the Village of Elephants, Dzanga Bai is a large clearing in the rainforest where between 50 and 150 elephants gather every day to drink at the mineral-rich springs. This unique setting allows visitors and researchers to observe the normally secretive African forest elephant a different species to the larger savanna elephants found in the open country elsewhere on the continent, and where two-thirds of the forest elephants have been killed in the last decade. In early May, the news hit. Poachers killed 26 elephants at Dzangabai. The article stated, The car has been unstable since a group mounted by the Seleka rebel coalition brought down the government in March. Seventeen Arabic-speaking poachers, thought by local echo guards to be Sudanese, arrived at the park in a vehicle emblazed with the Seleka name. They were later seen shooting from a tourist viewing platform overlooking the Dzangabai watering hole. The news announced that Sudanese poachers are highly competent and accomplished hunters, the very best, who are able to kill many elephants at once. Dozens of hunters on horseback will corral elephant herds, which are then shot from the saddle. Their ivory is taken back to Khartoum, often via camel, where it is sold into poorly understood criminal smuggling networks. Although Dzanga Ndoki National Park has armed echo guards, they felt outgunned by the poachers and did not take them on. Rodney Cassidy, the South African owner of an echo lodge near where, the, where we were going to be staying, was quoted as saying, you can't bring a knife to a gunfight. Cassidy and his family fled Dzanga Ndoki shortly after the coup, although WWF's head of policy couldn't confirm that the poachers were part of the coup and the Seleki group. Needless to say, we did not go to the CAR. Need I say more? These headlines are proof positive that elephants are under attack and it's a global issue. The lust and fervor for ivory is not just about China, nor is this about loving elephants and aesthetics or conservation. It is a full-blown announcement to the world that the slaughter of elephants is funding international terrorism and destabilizing governments. This is an issue not only of our national security, but global security as well. That makes it everybody's problem. In an October 2013 New York Times article titled, titled, Elephants are Revered Yet We Hack Off Their Tusks, the author, Adam Cruz, writes, We have been incorporating elephants into our lives since humans first became, well, humans. That the earliest known sound Bushman rock and cave paintings throughout Asia and Europe, along with some 75,000 prehistoric sites worldwide, all depict elephants. Primitive humans believed animals were people, but that they represented the best and noblest of our human traits. Even as we believe to this, to this day, elephants symbolize strength, intelligence, and loyalty, and have been seen throughout our human history in, in, in Islamic texts, Christ, Christian churches, and Gothic, I'm sorry, Gothic cathedrals, to Da Vinci's Renaissance and Dali's surrealism. Elephants have formed part of the abstract, the mythical, and the blessed, while literature is full of anecdotes and stories or representations of the mighty animal. Which, with such a depth and variety of representations in our childhood consciousness, it's no wonder we all feel a connection with elephants. 
Speaking of artifacts, T-shirts, mugs, postcards, and stamps of elephants are some of the most popular images floating about the global society today, even more so in commercial branding. There are no less than six beer labels that use the elephant as their motif, and in a land where modern-day elephants have never occurred, our own U.S. Republican Party is represented by the elephant and its associated slogan, Strength and Dignity which is certainly true of the elephants, but I'm not so sure about the Republicans. There is now so much science, research, biology, language studies, deep ecology, and social studies understanding about elephants today that we know so much more. So why do we continue to kill elephants so shamelessly and hack off their faces? In harming them or letting them be harmed, are we not also harming ourselves? As Dame Daphne Sheldrick of the David Sheldrick Wildlife Trust says, Elephants are just like us, only they are better than us. Elephants unite us across the world. We owe it to ourselves and to them to look after them. In 2011, there have been more seizures of huge shipments of ivory from 2 to 60 tons, representing anywhere from 150 elephants to thousands in one shipment, being seized coming through Kenya, Mombasa, Tanzania, and the U.S., destined for ports in Southeast Asia. These seizures are happening every week. The scale, frequency, and size of these shipments now directly indicate that poaching on this level is highly organized. This is the business of international cartels. Only the ivory and illegal wildlife cartels are bigger, badder, and more successful and worth more money than drugs, arms, and dealing in human trafficking. E.g., organized crime on a massive scale, killing massive numbers of elephants, all for what? Trinkets, a sign of new wealth an old art form, and in the end, a misguided sense of status. It is not only elephants that are being killed. The rangers who are tasked with protecting them are being killed as well. Organized crime works differently than the old-style poaching. Someone comes in, shoots an elephant, and then tracks the tusks or buried them and picks them up later. These new cartels are armed gangs coming in through porous cross-country borders and coming in with weapons and able to get the ivory out. This means there is a collusion, a corruption, and it's an inside job. The cartels and kingpins, even though we know who and where they are, are so highly placed and protected, they are virtually untouchable. They can buy off just about anyone and anything. To fight this war requires a whole new strategy than any model of conservation for species survival that we have ever faced before. The traditional ranger patrolling large swaths of land is ill-equipped or ill-trained to deal with this kind of coordinated high-tech incursion. Today, anti-poaching requires coordination and equipment to outmatch the cartels. To meet this challenge, we are seeing a whole new type of organized response being formed to fight fire with fire and bring anti-poaching training and teams into the 21st century with technology, training, and equipment. Ex-military equipment that is languishing unused in warehouses around the world where we have fought so many other wars and where it could well be put to use toward the war on wildlife and the war on elephants. Drones and paramilitary training may be the elephants and rhinos' only chance for a future. A sad and unfortunate reality. And on that note, we'll take a break and please stick with me. We'll be right back.
The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big. Scary. Beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. And thank you again for sticking with me. This is a tough, difficult, and uh, a lot of information on the subject of the Ivory Wars. What will also help the war on elephants is you and me. It is public awareness, public pressure, and public funding. If, as they say in Africa and elsewhere, like here in the U.S., that the cost of wildlife on our public and private lands is too expensive, if it pays, it stays. The flip side of that is if it doesn't pay, that there is no economic value to be had from having that animal on your public, on your or our public land, then there is big money to be had in killing it. This is the wildlife must pay for itself argument, and a trade in ivory could certainly do that, and was thus mistakenly thought to be the case when CITES sold the ivory to Japan and China. But where is the money going to come from to keep elephants alive when there is so much pressure to keep killing them? As my friend Mike Norton Griffith says, the only solution to the ivory wars is an ivory peace. At the highest level 
levels of producers and consumers and sit together and agree on common objectives to achieve peace rather than war. But how do we make this happen? Do we expect rain states that have suffered war, civil unrest, poverty, and corruption to flip this bill? It's not going to happen. We can already see that it's not working. Remember Bono and his cause to wipe out African debt when he stood on stages around the world saying, every time I clap my hands, another elephant dies. China is the new economy. China has moved into Africa without the debt attached by World Bank loans. It is all strictly business and a lucrative business indeed. Africa needs infrastructure and the Chinese are building roads, schools, and providing utilities and power and, the, and eating their way through the wildlife. If Africans can't afford to pay for their infrastructure due to corruption, lack of international will, too much debt or human wildlife conflicts, then who is left to invest? Who will pay for this? The wealthy nations. Those who to this day continue to industrially exploit Africa for goods on the international exchange. Diamonds, gold, minerals, palm oil plantations, fossil fuels, you name it. The emerging world is using Africa as the killing fields to support the Western lifestyle of progress equals possession and possession equals consumption. We're already paying the price of an Africa that is unable to take its place on the international markets due to corruption, debt, and this wildlife trafficking and international crime. We're already paying for food aid, health, rebuilding from disasters and civil wars. Shall we just sit by and say, well, if the loss of our world's unique wildlife is the cost, then so be it? What a legacy to leave for the ancestors of our future. Let's bring this closer to home. In September 6th, online issue of Scientific American, there is an opinion article by Daniel Ash, the director of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, titled, Why Elephant Poachers Love the Federal Budget Sequester. It's worth reading. You will find the link on on our Wild Eyes Facebook page. I'm going to take a few excerpts from Mr. Ash's article here, as they are relevant to the upcoming crush and the questions we are all facing here in the U.S. and abroad, about how we will combat this war on wildlife, for which our planet's endangered species, elephant and rhino in particular, is being fought. Although foreign species may seem like other nations' problems, nothing could be further than the truth. The native native species and ecosystems of our planet support billions of people and drive the world's economy. Everyone has a stake in sustaining these fragile ecosystems and species. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service plays an essential role in combating global wildlife trafficking. Since the federal budget sequestration took effect in March, however, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife's ability to carry out this mission has been diminished, just as the situation for an endangered species around the globe has become increasingly critical. Poaching has now been shown to fuel the destabilization of governments in Africa, creating potential threats to U.S. national security, such as the recent bombing of the Westgate Mall and our embassies in other countries. In the opinion, in an opinion, in the opinion article in Scientific American, Mr. Ash had the following to say, also had the following to say. The U.S. is a leader in the fight against wildlife crime. We use our wildlife laws to keep this country from becoming a significant transit point and destination for such trafficked wildlife items as ivory, rhino horn, tiger bone, and more. 
But as Mr. Ash points out, the federal budget sequestration is limiting the U.S. Fish and Wildlife's law enforcement capability at the very time it is needed most. The, the FSW Office of Law Enforcement already has 63 vacant positions for special agents, the men and women on the front lines of preventing wildlife crime. With sequestration, the, FSW, the, the, the FWS has had to cancel plans to hire a class of 24 offers to begin filling these vacancies. As a result, they carry out fewer investigations of wildlife trafficking and may have to postpone plans to station agents overseas in countries that are either suppliers of or markets for ivory, rhino horn, and other contraband. The Fish and Wildlife Service currently has 216 special agents, about the same level as in 1978, although the job is much harder today, as the number of protected species has increased more than 60%, and wildlife trafficking today involves well-organized syndicates taking advantage of the latest technologies to operate on a global basis. The Fish and Wildlife Service also has vacancies in the wildlife inspector ranks, which they will not be able to fill. These are the folks on the ground at ports of entry, checking imports and exports, and, the inter- and intercepting illegal trafficking. Mr. Ash states that the Fish and Wildlife is focusing their resources on the actions that will enable them to achieve their conservation mission, but that so much more could be done to give wildlife a chance. He concludes with this question. We must ask ourselves where our priorities lie. Is the sequestration really worth a world where the only reminders of our most spectacular and treasured wildlife are a few carved tchotchkes? What is happening is a heightened awareness through the media to bring attention to the public that there is a war going on and we're losing it. What we do know is that wildlife crime and wildlife trafficking is now the fifth largest moneymaker next to oil and gas. We know that wildlife crime brings in more money than gold, drugs, weapons, and human trafficking. This is big business at its most insidious and it's not so hidden anymore. It's happening right in front of our eyes. We are hearing more and more about the natural disasters that are befalling our planet and the differing opinions about the causes and effects on climate shifts, weather, environments, and on both land and sea. We can debate these issues with the deniers until hell freezes over or the ice caps melt and my spot here in the Rocky Mountains becomes beachfront property. But the devastation being wrought on elephants is not a natural disaster. This is a disaster whose cause lays completely at our feet. This is about the impact we humans are having on our natural world and the megafauna we live with. The loss of elephants will lay at our generation's feet forever. This war will be fought on many different fronts, from social networks, print news, and scaling up efforts to turn the tides. Whatever methods we employ, it takes money, as if as much as if not more than the syndicates and bloody trade in ivory brings to the rich and very few. We can boycott items made in China, sign petitions all day, and share our news on Facebook all we want, but it's going to take direct action on many fronts to turn this around, and that takes time, personnel, and money. We know how tough things are today, but they're getting even tougher on elephants. They cannot fight for themselves on this kind of scale or scope. We have to fight for them. Please, Donate to Elephant Conservation. Do your due diligence and spend a bit of time to check out the organizations you choose to donate to to ensure your contribution is going to make a difference because it can. 
More than at any other time in our lives, your contribution, large or small, will make a difference. You can visit wildeyes.org to learn about the projects we support with your funding. From providing research on elephant dynamics to salaries, salaries for Mike Scouts and rapid response teams to training up rangers and providing equipment so they are prepared and capable to meet the new 21st century challenges of the war on wildlife. As too many of animals and people have already died. This war on wildlife is a people problem and a global problem. It will take each and every one of us standing up and being a voice in the darkness. Supporting elephants says you care about them, about our wild world, and about our future. The time has come for us to step out of our ivory towers of isolation, disconnection, selfishness, remove the rosy lens of our perceived sense of security and dominion over the world, and step into reality and take responsibility for our actions or lack of action. This is destroying the fabric of our future through the mechanism of the ivory wars. I am headed to Denver for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Ivory Crush, which is a part of a series of coordinated actions by the service and international collaborations spotlighting the rising tide of the ivory wars and wildlife trafficking. The Ivory Crush and and coordinated efforts are to bring a global attention to the various efforts being employed to crack down on international criminal activities. There will be a series of satellite meetings with representatives from national and international organizations discussing how we can work together beyond the crush to amplify the event and leverage it for further action. The Ivory Wars, Ivory Peace discussion will be continued over the next several episodes of Our Wild World. I'll be bringing you intimate conversations and dialogue with U.S. Fish and Wildlife law enforcement and elephant conservation biologists. Also coming up will be discussions with Dr. Paul Lukahambu, Joan Donner, Jacqueline Russell of Wildlife Direct, and John Hemingway, chairman of the board of Wildlife Direct and filmmaker who wrote and directed the National Geographic film Battle for the Elephants. Also coming up will be conversations with IFA, the International Wildlife uh, International Fund for Animal Welfare, and with their international wildlife law trade experts. You'll have the opportunities to ask your questions by emailing them to wildeyes at wildeyes.org or calling into the listener line during these conversations. In the meantime, watch the news, read the headlines, and join me again next week to keep you updated on the front lines in this battle to save our elephants and our wild world. On that note, I'm also exhilarated to announce that our short film, The Elephant in the Room, uh, in collaboration with uh, UNEP, will begin playing on five big screens throughout the Beijing International Airport starting today and will continue to run through June of next year. But it cannot stop there. We need your financial support to keep the public outreach going. I'm going to say this straight out. We've done our bit, and we continue to do more. Now I'm asking you, dear listeners, to step up to the plate and do your bit. This is your chance. You have the information and the facts, so what are you going to do? In the meantime, this is Ellie Weiss. Join us again over the next coming weeks for more information about the Ivory Wars and what is being done. Thank you. 
Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 